0: Well, good morning. Good morning. I I have to confess to you as I was walking down the aisle just a moment ago, my big sister's here today and I stuck my finger in her ear. And
1: <laughs>
0: but then when I got up here in my seat, I got to thinking, man, I hope that was the right aisle and the right ear.
1: Next week if he has a restraining order, well, well no. Well no. Out.
0: Wrong ear, wrong aisle. Oh, man.
1: So, hey, guys. We are in week number two of this series, Frequently Asked Questions. And the question that has been asked is why, if God is, in fact, all-powerful and all-good, then why does suffering and pain and hurt still exist in this world? So, um, we're using... The way we're presenting this material to you this morning is something that we learned from one of our mentors, so... When we think about pain and suffering, I can't help but think about all the natural disasters that have happened within the last few years. Um, there was, in 2004, the tsunami that, that that occurred in the Indian Ocean, think about this, it, it produced these huge, massive, killer waves that moved at the speed of, of a jetliner. And by the end of that day, In 2004, 150,000 people were either dead or missing, and millions of other other people across 11 countries were homeless in just one day. Um, And then just this year in April, an 8.0 magnitude earthquake hit the the little country of Nepal, and it killed like 8,500 people, almost the size of Stuttgart. Um. And then 2004, we think back to Indonesia, the earthquake there, and then in 2010, the earthquake that hit Haiti. And together, combined between those two people, over 400,000 people lost their lives. A little closer to home for us anyway. um, In 2011, on May 22nd, a, a massive tornado ripped through Joplin, Missouri killing 158 people, injuring thousands of others, destroying hundreds of homes. The the storm, it it packed winds that exceeded 200 miles per hour. And, And get this, it stayed on the ground for 22 miles. Just a massive, massive storm. And we may be prompted to ask the question when we think about these natural disasters. We may be prompted to ask this question, how... Can God, if he is in fact good, either cause this or let this occur? And, you know, that may be, those things may still be far removed from you personally. But you, you, you don't have to live too long for disaster to hit you more personally. Maybe in the form of cancer in your family or heart attack or stroke or even some other kind of natural disaster, but it causes us to ask these questions. When you know when current reality it conflicts with our image or our view of what we think God is or who we think God is, we're wise not to ignore reality, but instead ask, "Who is God? Who is God? If God is not the God that makes sure all innocent people." don't die, then who is God? If God is not the God who makes sure all kids get home safe at night, then who is God? If God's not a God that heals all cancers, all diseases, then who is God? If God's not the God who makes sure all kids that are hungry somehow get fed, then who is God? If God's not the God who answers all that protect me, keep me safe, deliver me, help me prayers, then who is God? Perhaps maybe you've been believing in a God that doesn't even exist. Perhaps your, your image of how God ought to behave, maybe that God doesn't exist. Maybe you've been holding God To a standard, or you have been believing in a God as you want him to be. Or it may cause you to come to the conclusion that if there was a good and personal God, then he would not let these things happen, so therefore, there's not no God at all. Because God, as you have imagined him. He doesn't line up. He doesn't settle with current reality. You know, maybe there's a a better question we can ask instead of why. Why is this happening? Why does that happen? Maybe we really need to discover who our God really is. And and the truth is, even if if we're not comfortable with it and, and you don't want to admit it, God used all kinds of weather and circumstances in the Old Testament and the New Testament to get people to stop in their tracks and ask this very question. Who is God? And we're not comfortable with it. We don't have to be comfortable with it. I'm not comfortable with it at times. But in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the midst of of nature taking its toll on humanity, it leads us. To ask, who is God? And in the answer to this question, it happens to be in the very first book of the Bible. And you may not believe in the creation stuff, and that's okay. I do. And one of the reasons I do is because Jesus believed in it. And anyone that can predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm just going to go with what he says. We have here, in the book of Genesis, described to us how God began this whole thing. And he had it just the way he wanted it. I'm going to read through some, uh, a passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to ask for y'all's help this morning. When I get to this one word, each time I get to this word, I want you to say it with me. And maybe we can get a sense of who God is through this passage of Scripture. The word is good. It's repeated over and over. So when I get to it, just help me out. Don't leave me hanging, please. Okay. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Good. Then he separated the light from darkness. Verse 9. Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so that dry ground may appear. And that's what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters sea. And God saw that it was good. good. Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that's what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was Good. good. Verse 21, so God created great creatures and every living thing, it scurries and swarms in the water, and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of their kind. And God saw that it was good. good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, let the fish fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry around the ground, and wild animals, and that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves, They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the animals, the small animals that scurry around the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God commanded them to rule to subdue everything, all the animals to rule over them. They were all under their authority. In verse 31, Listen to what it says. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. good. An evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. When God created it, it was just as he wanted it. It was absolutely perfect. And it was just as as we want it to be today. But it it was how we feel, how we desire it to be. But something happened. How did evil creep in? Why does nature not cooperate with humanity? How is it that you don't have to teach a two-year-old to throw a tincture tantrum? There's not a class on it. There's not a seminar held on it.
0: It just
1: happens. I I was in
0: Walmart (laughs) last week, and I think I saw a two-year-old passing out business cards offering a seminar on temporary. Giving examples, too. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) They, They just know how to do it, and it's not called the Terrible Twos for any reason at all other than it's pretty bad. So how do we even know these things? How do we know that that something is not right? How do we know that it matters more when a human dies versus when your shrubs and your yard do? That's silly, right? When we think about it. But where does that, that standard come from? We didn't make it up. We we just know it, right? How do we know it? How do we even know that that this is not how it should be, that, that it could, could be better, that maybe it should be better? Where did the evil come from, Harley? Well,
0: the very next part of this story tells us when God put Adam and Eve in this garden, he said, this is good and this is great, but I give you one rule, one, just one. God is not a God of a bunch of rules. If you, if, he gave them one single rule. He said, don't eat of that fruit off of that tree right there. Anything else you can eat from, anything else you can do, don't do that. Everything else here is yours. But if you do eat of that, you're going to have something that will drive you crazy for the rest of your life. And God described it as the knowledge of good and evil. And that is why we are so aware today of how things could be and how things should be, but they're not. And that knowledge, it drives us crazy. It infuriates us. We know that it is wrong to abuse children. And when we hear about it, we are horrified. Because we know that ought not to be. It's the reason why you try to make your kids behave. It's the reason why we try to create for ourselves this wrinkle-free life. But we never make it. We know that things. Should be. Better. And we never really. Get there. And that frustrates us. In this moment. In the garden. Sin came into God's. Perfect creation. And with it. Came the knowledge of. Good and evil. And that very knowledge drives us crazy because things on earth today are not as they should be and we know it. Now, isn't that amazing? The Bible here answers this question and it at the same time gives us another clue as to who is this God. Who is this God? When we gain this knowledge of good and evil, God did what any good father would do. He judged sin. And we may say, God, you over judged sin. So let's say you're walking through Walmart and you see a teenage son and he is yelling At his father as loud as he can. He's cussing his father. Screaming at his father. Using profanity. Being disrespectful. All very public. And the father does nothing. Now would you say. Now there is a good dad. No. You wouldn't say that. You're you're trying to eat at a restaurant. And next to you is a table full of screaming, yelling, crying, kids. They're throwing their
1: food. You've ate next to my family at a restaurant.
0: I I tried to disguise that. (laughs) No, that's not about your family. You have a great family. But you... You know what I'm talking about? You've been there. And they're throwing food, they're screaming, and the parents are just kind of oblivious and they're just trying they're giving their kids anything they want and you're like it's driving you crazy. I mean, you want them to die <laughs> or leave, wh- whichever comes first. It doesn't really matter in that moment. And but you're not saying to yourself, now those are those are good parents. You're not. Now, what would you say of a God who allowed his prized creation, of all of his creation, his prized creation, Adam and Eve, what would you say of a God who who allowed his prized creation to disrespect him and disobey the one, single, only rule he gave them? Would you say... If he allowed them to do that, there's a good God. There's a good Father. No. Now think of it. When we see nature around us, nature wreaking havoc on this land and on humanity, it's actually a reminder that God is good. And God is great, so good and so great that he could not, as a good father, could not turn a blind eye to sin. Now, after they ate that fruit, committed that sin, Genesis chapter 3 tells us how God judged them in this scenario. and We're going to read about that. Genesis 3 verse 16. Then God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. Ladies, blame it on Eve. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, this is so interesting, because God's plan for relationships were perfect perfect relationships where they got along all the time. I mean, they were perfect. There was no problem in the relationships. But now, now, part of this curse, part of this judgment is that you and I, we are going to have problems in every single relationship for the rest of our lives here on earth.
1: See? Good news, right? Yeah, we are so encouraged but right now.
0: See, see, it's it's not just you. I mean, we're involved in it, but it's part of this judgment. It's part of this curse. It's part of the judgment. We just have to live with relationships. Were meant to work, and they're going to be a lifelong struggle. It's part of the judgment. Part of the curse. Verse 17, and to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. That's what he said. God is saying this, Adam and Eve. Everything under your authority and under your control, which includes their relationships and even the earth, that they were to rule and subdue everything under your control is now being judged. It's cursed because of what happened. So get this. The earth, the ground the pests, the mosquitoes, which I just killed one on my leg a moment ago, the wasps, the venomous snakes, the large predators, yes, and even the weather. They will all fight against humanity. And it's all, God is saying, Adam and Eve, it's all, Because of you. And it's hard for us to point a blaming finger, because guess what? We have blown it, too. And then he goes on to say, all of your life you will struggle to scratch a living. This is why, in your yard, you will never have to work at growing weeds. Farmers know this all all too well. They know that they are working in ground that is cursed. That is why it takes so much money, so many chemicals, so many things to make the ground do what we want the ground to do, because even the ground has now been judged and cursed because of what happened. Verse 18, It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Andy Stanley reminds us, The moral of this story, God is great, God is good, if only we had been. And if you think in the midst of tragedy, God, you have gone too far, God, you have overreached this time, then we don't understand how really good and really great God is. We think that God has overjudged sin because we have underestimated how good and how great God is. And we have overestimated how good and great we think we are. And when we feel the sting of this world, the brokenness and hurt of relationships, the pain of sickness and the agony of tragedy. We look at God and we say, God, you have gone too far and you are not fair. And God says, no, no. You've underestimated my goodness and and you've overestimated your goodness. You've underestimated the significance of sin in the face of a great and good God who loved humanity enough to create a perfect environment. That's what Donnie just read about. And then this good and great God gave you the freedom to foul it up, which we did. And when we are tempted to shake our fist at God and say, I don't like it, what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you. We don't like to admit it, but that's what we're saying. God, I don't trust you with this life. And that's exactly really the same thing that led to Adam and Eve sinning in the garden because they were like, God... I don't trust that when you said don't eat of that fruit, I don't trust that you're telling me the whole story. (laughs) God, maybe you're trying to hide something from me. But God is good. And God is great so much that he judged sin the way it should be judged. And now... As he said we would. We have the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that this world is not the way it should be. And that drives us crazy. So if that's the reality. Then the next question maybe is this. Okay God. Will you do something about it. Now that it is messed up. And the answer to that finally proves just how good and how great our God really is. Because immediately after Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, immediately after judgment was dispersed, then God went to work to solve the problem that we created. And God started at that moment His march towards the cross right then. What has been for us thousands of years since the garden. What feels like to us an eternity since the garden. It has only been a few weeks for God if you go according to the time frame that God gives us in the book of Psalms, it's only been a few weeks since Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. And God immediately went to work to correct it for all time, for all, everyone who will surrender at the cross. You see, we we blew it in the garden and daily we're reminded that we live in a world that is cursed and messed up. But when we look at the cross, we are reminded that one day God is going to escort us into a new heaven and a new earth. His perfect creation once again. Our bottom line says this, and (laughs) I hope you will remember it. It says, tragedy reminds us that things are not as they ought to be, but the cross reminds us that one day they will be. Bible tells us that Jesus was addressing after he died on the cross and rose again one of the conversations he had with his followers he said listen guys I am going to a place and I'm going to prepare for you there a place I'm going to work on I'm going to prepare for you a perfect place once again And where I am going, I'm going to come back and get you and take you to be there with me. He says, you know where it is, right? And then Thomas, one of his followers, he spouts up, he's like, I, I don't know where it is. I'm concerned because I don't know where it is. But you know, Jesus has answered that question for us. When Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father. In other words, no man gets to that place. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Died on the cross and rose again three days later for you to get to that perfect creation once again. And my hope for you this morning. is that instead of letting the tragedy and the hurt and the pain of this cursed world, because for the rest of our lives here, nature, the weather, illness and sickness is going to fight against humanity. But... The cross reminds us that Jesus is preparing a new place, a new heaven, a new earth for you. And I know that sounds far out and it sounds science fiction, but as Donnie said, I'm going with the guy. I'm going with the guy who predicted his death, predicted his resurrection And pulled it off and showed himself to hundreds and hundreds of people afterwards. And we're still talking about it today. That's who I'm going with. I'm trusting him. Tragedy reminds us that this earth and the things here are not as they ought to be. But the cross reminds us that one day they will. And here's my question. Have you submitted yourself to Jesus? Because I have. I'm still not perfect because I live in this cursed world. And I still make mistakes. But the cross reminds me that Jesus is coming back to take me to be where he is in this perfect place. And I hope you're going to be there with me. I haven't deserved it. But he gave it to me freely. And he'll do the same for you. You say, well, okay, Harley, how do I nail this down? How do I make sure? Scripture tells us this. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? Do you believe he really did that? If the answer is yes, I ask you this Do you believe that Jesus rose again and defeated death for you? Now, here's what that means that means that Jesus paid a price. For your life. If he paid a price for your life. That means he has purchased you. If you surrender to him. So that's my question. Do you believe he died on the cross? Do you believe he rose again three days later? If you do. Then you can say this to him. Jesus. In your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. Jesus you have purchased my life. And I, I give it to you. It's yours. If you just said that, you don't have to say it over and over and over again, week after week after week. If you have said that, if you or for the first time, if you just now said it, if you really believe it, you said it. He does not break his promises. And he said, then he is coming for you too. Tragedy reminds us that the world is not how it should be, but the cross reminds us that one day it will be. My hope is, my hope is that you will submit to him. And now for the rest of us, for the rest of us, Will you, will you get to know? Instead of asking God, why will you allow this? Why did you allow this to happen? Will you instead get to know who this God is? Because he died. To walk with you. And to talk with you. He died to live with you every day. Will you get to know this God? Let me pray for you. Then I want to talk about the connection card. Let's pray. God, some of our friends today, I believe, they have said for the first time, God, you can have my life. And I am so grateful. I'm grateful that you have not given up on us, even though you probably should have. You did not. And God, I am grateful for my friends who are compelled to get to know you more. May we use that compulsion this week. May we really begin to get to know you. A little bit more every single day as we get into your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I know, I know today has not been a real encouraging day. We've talked about the reality that life just really sucks because we live in a cursed world. And that's tough. Some of you, for the first time, said, God, I'm giving you my life. Now, on the back of your connection card, there's a place for you to mark that says, for the first time, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, to become a Christ follower. On the back, we're near the next steps. Will you mark that if today, for the first time, you're saying that? But let me encourage you in this. Because yes, life is tough. But our God has promised you and he's promised me. Even though life is difficult and tough and hard and we live in a cursed, judged world. Because of the choices Adam and Eve made and the choices we have made confirms it. But God has said, I am will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. He's going to walk with you through this mess. But guess what? You're still here. You, even through the things you've been through, you are still here. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower... Why is it that God did just not, just as soon as you believe that he didn't say, okay, let's take you to this perfect place. Just snatch you right up and take you away. But he didn't. If you're a believer, you're still here, right? God has not left you in this mess and pain and hurt and the sickness in this cursed world. To torture you. He has you here for a purpose. You are here still. For a purpose. For his purpose. Let me share that with you. The tragedy all around us reminds us we live in a cursed world. But the cross reminds us. That it will not always be. You are here still, so that when you leave this movie theater in just a moment, you are surrounded by your friends and your family, and you are surrounded by people that you are going to meet, even people that check you out at Walmart. And God has placed you here, for, left you here now for the purpose of making sure they have the same hope that you have in the cross, even though they live in a painful, hurting, messed up world now. And somewhere very near you is an empty seat. And I'm just going to tell you, you are here to have that person beside you so that they can have the same hope that you have in the cross. As you leave here today, that is why we are here and i am so grateful stuttgart harvest church you get that you're you're getting that let's not waste this week let's make sure Somebody's sitting beside us to get the very same hope that we have. I don't care how many services we have to do or cram them in. I, 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 I don't care because that's why we're here. Let's make sure they have the same hope that you have.